Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Tonight on the Hinckley Report, inflation continues to dominate headlines as Utahns grapple with its impact on their wallets and their votes. Utah's governor joins a coalition of leaders working against President Biden's plan to forgive student loan debt. And as the midterm election nears, long simmering topics reach a boiling point. Good evening and welcome to The Hinkley Report. I'm Jason Perry director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Jay Evenson, senior columnist with the Deseret News, Heidi Hatch, anchor with KUTV2 News, and Ben Winslow, reporter with Fox 13 News. Thank you so much for being with us. A lot happening in the political world this week. I want to start with some decisions that are happening in Washington, D.C., from the president himself impacting students all over the country. I want to talk about student loans. Jay, let's talk about uh, this plan that, that, has, that has been proposed here for students. President Biden announced that the plan would be this. $10,000 of federal student loan debt uh, could go away for people who are earning less than $125,000, and up to $20,000 loan forgiveness for those who went to college on Pell Grants. Talk about the politics of this, maybe even the timing. Well, it's, yes, well, the timing, it's interesting because it's an election year, of course. But um, there was a lot of talk, I think the president was, was trying to decide where to put that bar. You know, $125,000 is a lot of money. Do you put it there? Do you put it somewhere lower? He chose to go higher. Uh, and uh, it's, it's caused, a, uh, that's kind of been the sticking point. There are a lot of people that say, look, uh, we think that lower-income people ought to get some help, but when you're talking about people making 125 or 250,000 filing jointly, mm -hmm. that uh, that's a little that's a little much. There was a, a study from the Wharton School of, of Business in Pennsylvania that said uh, about uh, between 69 and 73 percent of this uh, forgiveness will go to aid the top 60% of earners uh, in the country. And that's kind of where the Republicans are trying to hit it from. Well, so they are, Heidi. Uh, the Republicans are hitting it. In fact, uh, just yesterday, we see this letter come out. 22 Republican governors in the United States send a letter to President Biden saying, you need to immediately withdraw this plan because they think that this is not what the government should be doing when it comes to student loans. That's right. And I think even one more, the Massachusetts governor added his name after the fact. I'm not sure exactly why. But we have a lot of Republican governors where you're looking at and thinking, OK, does this win them any points? Does this help at home? Does it help? Because also there was a handful that didn't. And the interesting thing is looking at the handful that didn't, yeah. They have uh, plans within their own states where they might tax some of that money. And so maybe they'll get a win on the other side by not speaking out against it. But interestingly enough, it is a political football right now because there's just as many people happy as mad about it right now. So definitely these 
Republican governors are going out on a limb. They're obviously not up for election right now, so it's easy for them to go out and say that. But uh, there's definitely a divide and rift between people of whether they think this is fair or not. And a lot of people I've heard talking about uh, what Senator Romney said, that there was um, irresponsible expectations that could come with this. And the big question is not just what happens right now, but if you forgive the debt now, what happens to people who get debt after that? Will there always be an expectation you can take out as much money as you want? and it'll be paid off, and then what if it isn't? Yeah, but let's get to that quote, because it's very interesting. It gets to the heart of where some of the Republicans are, as Heidi just mentioned. Ben, I want to I read to you what, what Senator Romney said about this and get your reaction through the context we just got from, from Jay and from Heidi. Uh, Senator Romney said, this was a tweet, sad to see what's being done to bribe the voters. Biden's student loan forgiveness plan may win Democrats some votes, but it fuels inflation, Foots taxpayers with other people's financial obligations is unfair to those who paid their own way and creates irresponsible expectations. Well, the president did campaign on this when he ran for election in the first place. So it, I guess, is it bribing if you're fulfilling, at least from his perspective, a campaign promise? However, the interesting thing about this is it's the level of which the forgiveness applies. And is that enough to even satisfy your own base? Um, you know, people who wanted it wiped out entirely. Heidi has a very valid point with what happens down the road. Um, in terms of a state like Utah, well, I don't know how this is really going to play out. Uh, you know, we, we've not exactly been a, a pro-Biden state, really. So, you know, hard to see how this factors out. You know, certainly nationally, it's going to have a lot more implications than I think locally. But pro-Bernie, and I think a lot of people, when he was running for office, supported him because he was looking at maybe not even debt forgiveness, but making sure that college was free. And so I think a lot of people in Utah turned out and supported that concept at the time. I think we're, everybody's missing the real point, which is that higher education is too expensive. And so, to your point, it's September. There are a lot of students out there, and they're, what are they doing? They're taking out loans so they can get through the semester. Uh, and so, we still have this problem that higher education is too expensive. And that's a hard one to deal with. And it's, it goes far beyond just forgiving loans. You can forgive the loans, but you still have the cost. Yeah. So, uh, when it comes to the cost of education, I think it's important to put the perspective of the students in there, since they're the ones paying, paying that tuition. and. All across the country, state of Utah, those tuition uh, bills are coming right now. And so they're talking about this too. So we, we've actually asked a student here from the University of Utah, uh, Nahom Tedesi, has actually filmed a question that he would like to ask you to see where this goes from the perspective of a student. Hi, my name is Nahom Tedesi, and I'm a senior here at the University of Utah, double majoring in political science and international studies. My question for you today deals with my education and the education of millions of Americans. Recently, President Biden released his student loan forgiveness plan, which is claimed to be targeted towards the Americans who struggle the most with their college debt. Here in Utah, residents owe a collective of $10.1 billion in student loans. So my question is, how will Biden's student loan forgiveness plan affect Utahns, and what will the impacts be to our economy? Thank you. The big question people have right now is that when you're pumping more money into the economy, that inflation will get worse because nothing is free. You can't, you don't just wipe out debt. The money has to come from somewhere. And there have been some studies saying that, you know, this wouldn't hurt um, the inflation we're dealing with right now because once people have to start paying their loans again after this two-year break after December, that some of that money will start going towards the loans instead of into the economy again. But I think that's the problem is it's a big question mark and adding to the debt. And 
we're definitely in an area where if we're not in a recession already, we're going to be headed that direction. And so I don't know that we know for sure what's going to happen, but I know that most people are concerned that we're on the brink of something not great. Uh -huh. So interesting as you talk about that economy, Jay, because we've done some polling on this and, is, and to set the stage with the Deseret News and the Hinckley Institute of Politics. In, in Utah, there's about 307,000 Utahns without, stand, without standing loans. Uh, this loan forgiveness program would impact about 100,000 of them. And put that into context on the impact of the economy with one of the questions we asked of Utahns, which was, would you support a loan forgiveness program? And interestingly, 46% of Utahns said nothing. No, absolutely no. <laughs> and you break that down by party, and, and uh, Republicans, it was 59% that opposed mm -hmm. it. So uh, you can kind of see where people like Governor Cox are coming from. That definitely is playing into the party's, uh, the party's feelings. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's definitely not popular in, in Utah. And, um, but, you know, when people worried about inflation, uh, we, we currently, it's, it's not like we're adding more money into the economy because nobody's been paying on a federal student loan since the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. we're, we're already used to that condition. That's going to change on January 1st. All of a sudden, people are going to have that payment again. What happens then? What are the political pressures then as families who are already hurting? Are we going into a recession then? What do you do uh, with families that now have that extra burden of having to pay that that loan payment they haven't had for two and mm -hmm. a half, three years? Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be following this one closely. Certainly, Utah has its own perspective on this particular issue, and it's going to play out nationally. We'll see the impact of these letters and other pressures. Uh, no less controversial than the Utah Senate race. Oh, my gosh. This is a uh, buckle up, kids. This is a wild ride. So it is. Talk about this. We have we have sort of dueling uh, poll results from the two campaigns. Evan McMullen says he's a point ahead, uh, somewhere around 16, 18 points ahead is what Mike Lee says. We're getting national pollsters who are sort of putting these all together, still giving Mike Lee a, 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 an edge right now. But it's the polling that we're seeing nationally, the external polling is showing it's more of a neck and neck. And I think it's really going to come down to the undecideds here. And what we've seen in a lot of these polls that's been consistent is there's a pretty good chunk of people who are undecided. They have to make a choice. When they go to the ballot, you're yeah. going to have to choose. And so this is why you're seeing this race uh, playing out like it is. You're seeing things that were solidly Republican, now moving to lean Republican or likely Republican. Yeah. And then, of course, if you're a candidate, you are not going to release a poll that shows you underwater. So you're going to say, look, my candidate's doing great. We're, we're doing fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, we're ahead or we're challenging. We're, uh, you know, surging. So but it's that undecided that I'm really interested to see how that shakes out, because what's been interesting throughout this entire race, as long as it has been going on, is that you are that undecided margin is still pretty good sized. And, and that's been interesting to watch. So it, it looks like it's going to be a fight to the finish. But are they really undecided? That's the big question in my mind. There was another, I think it was called Sicker Well, they Pack. say they're undecided. They say they're <laughs> undecided, but it kind of rings back to uh, the Trump campaign. And when a lot of polls were going on, pollsters were talking about it after the fact that they felt like if people were voting for Trump after they knew some of the things they didn't want to know, they didn't want to tell someone they were voting for Trump. So they ended up in the undecided. And that's why Evan McMullen, people really thought that he might be able to pull out a win in Utah. So the people were undecided. They maybe just didn't want to tell someone. So the question is, is Senator Lee in that camp where people have already decided on him but maybe feel like it's not popular to mm -hmm. say? Or are people really undecided and they're waiting for that Senate debate to happen? I don't know. We're, we're going to start seeing more, more clarity, more focus in the polls 
because it's September. We're mm -hmm. getting we're getting now into that season. People are back from vacations. People are starting to see ads on television. They're starting to think. I think you're going to see polls in the next few weeks that 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 focus a little bit more and give a little bit better mm -hmm. picture. But I think you can also judge how close this race is by how nasty the campaigning's been been so far. I mean, two years ago, everyone thought you know when when Spencer Cox and and uh, Chris uh, Peterson. Uh, Peterson were uh, doing commercials together, you know, and singing Kumbaya. Well, that wasn't a close race. But what, the closer the race gets, the more nasty it, it, it is. And I think both candidates see this as a very close race. What I find really interesting is also the fact that you had Senator Lee, the incumbent, who has enjoyed a lot of popularity, at least until recently, you know, as, if the polling is to be believed, um, advertising in June and advertising for the yeah. primary there. And then now continuing advertising. Usually we don't see incumbents having to do that. I certainly haven't seen mm -hmm. any of the other incumbents in the congressional races running ads at all. Mm -hmm. That's because we usually have a Republican and a Democrat, and this time we have a Republican and mostly a Republican who somehow has Democrats backing him. So that's the question is, you have uh, that big question of who are we voting for? And I think that's where you get a lot of the undecideds from. True. So let's talk for a second about who's backing. Because uh, it's very interesting this week, Jay, uh, as to the list of people that Senator Mike Lee put out that were supporting him. Maybe support different than endorse, because that's a little bit of a different process maybe. But we had 48 Republican senators uh, say that they were supporting Mike Lee. And at least one missing. One one name missing, and that was uh, our friend Mitt Romney. So, um, and and it's interesting why Mitt Romney has said his, his his statement is that he's friends with both candidates, and so he doesn't he doesn't want to get involved. There's a question as to whether uh, because Mitt Romney is is a polarizing figure within the Republican Party now after the uh, votes to impeach uh, uh, President Trump, maybe. People don't want his endorsement. Mm. Uh, I don't know, but it's very interesting that he's not—he's uh, not one of them. He said back in March, I think it was right after the State of the Union speech, we pressed him on this issue, and he said at the time he was trying to avoid the conversation. He didn't want to talk about it, but yeah. when pressed, he said that same thing. I don't know if my endorsement is a plus or a minus, and it really is true because there's two different kinds of Republicans right now, and mm. whether his backing is a good thing or a bad thing, we don't know. Well, you put this in context for us, Ben, following so much in politics and how these endorsements and support go, because just, just this week also in, in the Deseret News, an opinion piece was put forward by Chris Stewart, Burgess Owens, and John Curtis, all supporting Mike Lee. Uh, obviously, we're missing one of our members of Congress on that one, too. Is that Does that say much to you? Should we make much of Mitt Romney not being on there or... Or maybe Congressman Moore also not being on. Endorsements were always interesting, but it's hard to say how they factor out to voters. Do do voters really care about them? I think voters do are are in, interested in, uh, you know, hearing that you know big community leaders' voices are interested in you know are supporting this candidate or this candidate's platform. It's just hard to say how much it it means to to ultimately voters. I think there, at least from when I've talked to uh, people who are just you know lay voters, just average person, uh, they, they take a passing interest, like, oh, that's interesting, but it's not really influential of their decision. Um, you know, on the flip side, you see all the people who showed up at Evan McMullen's rally, uh, Ben McAdams, uh, you have uh, Michael Steele, the former GLP chairman, you know, appearing on, in, to endorse him as well. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. but it's hard to say how this resonates with voters if they see, yeah, their congressional reps are, you know, backing the home team. You know, maybe it's more interesting if they flipped and went the other way. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the support and how you influence Heidi, I'm, I'm curious what you think about the debates that are coming. I want to plug these because the Utah Debate Commission has just put forward the schedule. And in spite of all the 
I would say, kind of nastiness that happened uh, during the primaries, all of these candidates have agreed to do debates. What is the significance of that, and what, you know, what kind of impact do you think these will have? Well, it doesn't surprise me they've all agreed to do the debates, because here in Utah, we've always had these debates that come right before the November election. What I think Republicans are not used to is having to go debate in a Republican primary. They're not used to it. They're used to coming out of uh, their own caucuses and saying, I'm the winner chicken dinner, here we go, I'm going to November and we'll deal with it then. But I think this is a new thing they're going to have to get used to. They're going to have to step to the plate. I think voters are going to demand that they start doing that. So I think there's some pushback, but the expectation was that they would all debate in November, so that doesn't surprise me. The one I think that we really should be paying attention to, though, is the Senate race, because uh, those undecided voters may actually be listening, and I don't know that usually debates change minds. But Evan McMullen so far has been running on I'm not Mike Lee. But at some point, he's going to have to answer some questions about where he stands. You can't both sides it because he's really trying to get those uh, Republicans who lean a little more center. He's trying to get Democrats. But he's going to have to take some specific stands on specific issues that so far on Twitter and in the commercials battling each other out, he hasn't had to do. And I think that will be interesting for voters to hear them come to the plate. People yeah. know where Mike Lee stands and where he votes. There's no question about that. The question is, where will Evan McMullen vote? Mm -hmm. uh, let's transition a bit because, of course, the vote is what we're watching very closely. Uh, ballots are going to be start being sent out to Utahns October 18th through November 1st. People will see them. Comes early. People are going to have to get those votes. And already we have our lieutenant governor talking about uh, voter security, how these, these mail-in ballots are not just secure, but everyone should have supreme confidence in it. And uh, our lieutenant governor, Deidre Henderson, talked about it just this week. I want to play the clip from her as she's talking about the process and about these clerks and why we should have confidence in this. And Jay, watch this. I want to comment about where Utahns are. We want county clerks to be able to give us their input and their feedback, especially have relationship with legislators as they're making and creating new law. Uh, but we want county clerks who can competently run elections as they are currently legislated. Um, and if we have a county clerk who has an agenda other than that, I think um, I think you should citizens should be a little bit worried um, th this this function this role is it sh really it is partisan technically but it really shouldn't be there shouldn't be anything partisan about running an election you have the law and you have to follow it and you have to follow it with fidelity and and make sure that people have confidence uh, that you're following it so um, you can cho you can not like a law but you still have to be committed to following that law unless uh, unless it changes well, she seems to be she seems to be intimating that there's a problem somewhere, and um, Utah's clerks, uh, as far as I uh, have seen, have have been competent in how they've dealt with this. Perhaps they should be a nonpartisan uh, position, but that doesn't seem to have gotten in the way. The beauty to me of our system in the United States is that it is so fragmented. It's handled on a county by county mm -hmm. basis. It, that makes it so hard to try to rig an election on, in any meaningful way because you have to get into all these different systems. It's not run by some big national database. And um, I think we have to be really careful in messing with that. I think, I think it works well. Mm -hmm. But what we've seen is a lot of attacks on the system. People still uh, upset about the 2020 election, claiming that there were problems. There's no evidence of that being found here. And what it appears is the lieutenant governor keeps pushing back on those claims, those attacks. 
on the integrity of our election system and how Utah carries them out. And again, it's been very successful. It's very popular. People like how we vote here. Mm -hmm. And Heidi, we have we see no one attacking the mail-in balloting system. It seems like in, in spite of some bills trying to put it more in person, that's going to persist. I think it's going to persist, and I think that as much as there was concern maybe in the 2020 election because there were some states that were rolling that out at the last minute, Utah's really done a good job with it. There have been some kinks and some bugs along the way, but they do a good job in making this work. And I think that it's uh, made more people vote when it's sitting on your kitchen counter. I think people are willing to sit down, really look at the issues, and vote in more than just the top couple categories, really look at their full ballot. So it's something that's stuck in Utah. I think generally people like it. Even if they have a few questions about it, I think they like the way the process works. Okay. Love it. I mean, that's yeah. what I've seen. And when I was referring to people like it, I mean, they just, yeah. everybody I've talked to who just votes, I mean, they, they enjoy the mail-in balloting, the time, the pace. They don't feel pressured. They can look at, you know, look up issues, look up candidates, see if the platforms and positions align with theirs, see if they like their candidate and cast their vote, and then drop it off at their convenience. How many people remember going into the voting booth in the old days and have, finding a surprise on the ballot? You know, oh, uh -huh. I, I didn't know about this. I didn't this. study I didn't, this one up. I didn't study this day, this one. I still don't. Yeah, the, the members of the sewer board. Apologies to the sewer board. <laughs> okay. But now you have time. You can you can sit there with your, the internet and look it up and, and make a, an informed decision. It's mm -hmm. a good thing. And when you start talking about informed decisions, what people are looking at, I want to talk about the economy for just a moment. Because when you talk to Utahns about what issues are top of their list, and we have, right, Jay, in our polling, uh, the economy and how people will approach those things tends to be top, top of mind. Heidi, we, we've got some issues uh, when it comes to inflation, cost of food, cost of fuel that may impact how people are going to vote. Absolutely. Even if people don't say so, it's something that we have a constant reminder of. It's not something that just happens and then a couple of months later we forget about it. We have to fill up our gas tanks every week. We have to go to the grocery store every week. And so it's a constant reminder of where prices are. Now, who's to blame, how to fix this? You know, that's another question for another day. But it's certainly something that affects everyone. We even see national studies that say people who are making in the hundreds and two hundreds of thousands of dollars, many of those families, because of how their bills are worked out or their mortgage, they're living paycheck to paycheck, too. So it affects everyone, no matter if you're a Republican, Democrat, or in between. Okay, so Jay, you've been following this. So it impacts everyone. How big of a deal is it at the ballot box? I mean, are people going in and say, I'm, I'm kind of looking at my, my retirement fund, I'm looking at my bank account, and that's how I'm going to vote? I think it's a big issue. Um, I, yes, for everything that you just stated, um, the price of eggs. Have you looked at the price of eggs? I mean, it's up like 40% over a year ago. These impact people on a daily basis. We have a lot of strange economic indicators. We have full employment, 2% unemployment in Utah, and yet we have this inflation going on. Um, but I think uh, that's going to be a huge issue at the ballot box. And, and obviously, the party that's in power gets the blame, whether, it's, uh, whether that's valid or not. Yeah. I think it'll be a factor. I don't know if it will be the factor. Um, what, what do you think? There are other issues also that are driving people out to the polls. Um, abortion has become a big one nationally. You may see that also carry out here in Utah that drives people out to specifically vote for or against certain candidates. Um, other factors, other local issues, um, I think in the community of Orem, they've got a school district split. That's gonna draw a lot of people out. Um, just, to, you know, there are certain candidates that people are gonna wanna turn out for because they believe that, you know, this platform, things are so important that they need to elevate this person to a national stage uh, on a state level. Legislative races, we have some close ones there too. And I think uh, a lot of the things that are happening locally in communities 
economy, definitely. I'm not dismissing it as a factor, but I'm saying it's one of many that will mix into a, a stew. So, so Heidi, one of those things that Ben just mentioned, because a lot of things are rising, but we, we should mention it because it's just become uh, you know, very top of mind over the last day or two on abortion in the state of Utah. Yesterday, a group of legislators uh, got together from the House of Representatives and sent a cease and desist letter, is what they called it, to abortion providers around the state. The question is, is, does it have any legal teeth in it? And right now it looks like it was a message and uh, they just want to make sure their names are on a certain stance as people are going into these elections, even if their name's not on the ballot. So I don't know that that changes anything right now. And I think Utahns and probably every state are probably going to have to get used to the uncomfortableness until decisions are formally made. It seems like there's a lot of uh, legal questions and some back and forth that's going to happen maybe for years to come on the issue. Mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood dismissed it as a stunt. It, yeah. uh, essentially, it didn't come from the legislature's lawyers. It really is, uh, but it is a, what it was interesting in that letter is it was a warning also that these legislators said, we will be running bills in the 2023 yeah. session that will be going after abortion providers. Uh, perhaps if a DA declines, one reference was made that if a DA declines, they'll give the attorney general the authorization and the power to go after prosecutors. So say Salt Lake County says no, and you know uh, the AG can say yes. Uh, it just also warned bills are coming. In yeah. Interesting political uh, strategy, because this hasn't really worked well nationally for Republicans. And there's a lot of uh, uh, evidence that a lot of women are, are registering to vote and are planning to vote uh, because of that very issue, because they feel Republicans are really overstepping uh, an abortion law. So it's interesting to see why they would keep doing that. It doesn't seem to be a winning a winning strategy. Mm -hmm. But but how will this carry forward in the legislative session? As Ben just said, Heidi, uh, we see several legislators that are on that that wrote that letter uh, that have sponsored legislation in the past. Everything ranging from how they how they adjust the current law to whether or not they try to make a, do a constitutional amendment uh, regarding uh, abortion. I think a lot of them are just trying to see what sticks right now. And if you look back um, over the years, a lot of people have said that the legislature has been wasting uh, people's time and money in the sessions talking about these abortion bills. But uh, really, they got a trigger law into place, so they had that. And I think there's a lot of people looking behind the scenes and even meeting um, Republicans and Democrats alike, looking to see what they can do in their legislatures to maybe uh, be a domino effect and do kind of the same thing, where if one thing works in one state, it'll work in another. But I think right now they're trying to figure out what stick and what will work. Mm -hmm. uh, ben, in our last 20 seconds, Utah unique in this positioning? I think we're hardly unique. I think this is playing out all over in state houses across the country. Yeah, we're watching it very closely. Interesting developments that we will, of course, continue to watch here on the Hinkley Report. Thank you so much for being with us this evening and for your great insights. Thank you for listening to the Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.